It's my privilege now to introduce our keynote speaker, Diane Bryant. Named one of the 50 most powerful women in business by Fortune magazine, Diane's career in technology spans more, more than three decades, including leadership roles at Intel and Google, where she is currently the chief operating officer of Google Cloud. She also sits on the board of directors for United Technologies Corporation. Diane is a tireless advocate for women and underrepresented minorities in the fields of engineering and technology. She created the UC Davis Diane Bryant Endowed Scholarship for Women in Engineering and has served on the technical board of Anita Borg Institute, a nonprofit organization focused on the advancement of women in computing. A Sacramento native, Diane received her bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from UC Davis and holds four US patents. Please join me in welcoming Diane Bryant. So it is a true honor to join Provost Hexter, Dean Unava, the faculty, the families and friends in recognizing all of you today on this amazing day of accomplishment. You all face the challenges of the curriculum that was established by the fine faculty of the UC Davis Graduate School of Management, and you prevailed. <laughs> My congratulations to you, the class of 2018. The over, we should applaud them, yes. We should, we're fabulous. The overwhelming elation that comes from such an achievement is hard to reproduce, and I still remember my exhilaration on commencement day here at UC Davis way back in 1985. I know you all share with me a love for this university and the pride that comes from being an Aggie. Each and every one of you here today is on the path to be leaders of the future. You are the ones that will shape the world we live in. And you get to choose both how you will lead and the legacy you will leave. The power of leadership is immense. It's the ability to influence, the authority to declare, and the license to change. And it comes with tremendous responsibility. Having been in the tech world for 33 years, spanning the launch of the PC to the creation of the smartphone to the invention of cloud, I have seen and experienced what leads to success and, of course, what leads to failure. My goal for the next 15 minutes is to impart insight into what I believe makes leaders not only successful, but extraordinary. So wish me luck. I will start by saying that up until now, at least, I have been lucky. I am lucky to have held the various leadership positions today as COO of Google Cloud, prior as the group president of Intel's data center business, and prior to that, Intel CIO. I feel particularly lucky given my unconventional start. So I grew up in Sacramento, just down the road, and my father was a convicted felon. His work as a criminal uh, included a five-year stint in the maximum security prison in San Quentin. And for those of you that haven't spent time researching prisons, um, San Quentin is the one that's in the San Francisco Bay. And so we used to joke that at least he had a room with a view. He was uneducated, violent, and he didn't like kids. So there was no talk of education after high school. The expectation was I would graduate and either marry or perhaps become a hairdresser because I was awfully prissy. Uh, on my 18th birthday, my father kicked me out of the house as promised with his parental responsibility legally completed. 
He tossed my belongings out onto the front yard and told me that I could keep what I could fit in my car and what remained was his. And that was the first time I regretted buying a Volkswagen Bug. <laughs> a bit too small to fit the 10-speed Schwinn bike. So unfortunately, I have a February birthday, so that at that point, I was homeless for, with four months remaining in high school. From there, I went to community college, which was free. Given I had no money, it was clearly the perfect college fit. Though community colleges are disproportionately attended by the poor and minority populations, financial standing and race are clearly unrelated to ability and ambition. I was incredibly lucky the, co the community college system existed. Then my luck grew further. I was sitting in my freshman calculus two class and the kid sitting next to me asked me my major and I told him I was undeclared. And he said, you should be an engineer. It's the highest starting salary you can earn with a bachelor's degree. The one thing I knew was whatever major I picked, I was, it was gonna guarantee me financial security and independence. I was not gonna be poor. So at the end of class, I marched off to the counselor's office and I told her I wanna declare my major as engineering. And the counselor said, that's great, hardware or software? And I panicked, I was, good Lord, there's more than one? <laughs> and, and I frantically debated in my head, hardware, software, software, hardware, why would you do hard if you don't have to? So I said, I'm a software engineer. <laughs> And, and then I couldn't get a scholarship because they were only attracting hardware engineers. So I said, oh my goodness, clearly that's a typo. I'm a hardware engineer. And so, and so to this day, I am a hardware engineer. My next big break came when I discovered that UC Davis had established a unique, frictionless, and incredibly robust partnership with the local community colleges. UC Davis provided me a seamless transfer into my junior year of engineering. And after the best two years of my life, I had my Bachelor's of Science in Electrical Engineering degree. And that degree unlocked the doors to a rewarding career in technology and in business. Over the years, I've had many jobs that I've been asked to take that have seemed nothing short of suicide missions. The, at the time I was asked to take these positions, it was extremely unclear to me how I could possibly be successful. However, I was told the jobs were critical to the company and there was a belief I could make a difference, and so I seized the opportunities as presented. Taking big risk creates the opportunity for big reward. And yes, it can also result in big failure. However, what I have witnessed is the avoidance of risk invites complacency, and complacency breeds failure. I have been very lucky. Lucky to have that guy sitting next to me at Calculus. Lucky that UC Davis provided me a golden bridge to a premier degree. Lucky to have ended up in the tech industry during a period of accelerated invention. And lucky the big risks I took turned into big rewards. Lucky. There's a lot of studies have been done on luck. Is luck innate? Are some people born lucky, just destined for good fortune? And the others, eh, sadly, destined for pain and misfortune. Logic would say, of course not, but sometimes experience implies a different story. Well, I'm here to tell you that luck is not innate. Luck is, in fact, manufactured. You architect and build your own luck. You do so by being open to new experiences, by facing down the challenges with boldness and resiliency, and by being a risk taker. 
And so my first request of all of you is be the architect of your luck. Now, I'm sorry to say this won't be enough. It's a good start. But you are entering the workforce at a transformative time. We are living in an era of great possibility fueled by the ever-growing role of technology. Technology is deeply and irrevocably interwoven into our society. All industries, healthcare, transportation, retail, energy, financials, all are being disrupted by technology. Entire markets are being disrupted. The taxi industry went unchallenged for 120 years and then suddenly upended by a location-based app that connects drivers to riders. Supply chains are being disrupted. Traditional retail supply chains have been upended by e-commerce, industrial by 3D printers. Products are being disrupted. The automobile has moved to a cloud-connected car and rapidly approaching autonomous vehicles. The impact of technology on our future cannot be overstated. The disruption is occurring, and it's occurring to three fundamental inventions. The low-cost and scalable cloud, the pervasiveness of connected devices generating massive, massive amounts of data, and then the advent of artificial intelligence, AI, which is the resulting beneficiary of that efficient computing and massive amounts of data. AI will transform the way every business operates and how the world engages. Now, AI, artificial intelligence, is a hotly debated and a polarizing topic, as are all complex issues that are wrapped in unknowns. AI has the potential for good and bad, for rewards and risks. So to put that debate into context, we can look to the past. Socrates stated that the invention of writing would produce forgetfulness. Alexander Graham Bell's telephone was met with attacks for its invasion on privacy. After inventing the radio, Marconi doubted the value of his work, asking, have I done the world good or have I created a menace? And as crazy as it seems, similar debates were had about the internet in the 90s. Is the internet good or bad? The internet has enabled extremism to reach a large global audience, but has also given voice to marginalized communities and sparked global discussions on topics like equality. AI will present a similar range of outcomes in the coming years. For instance, if an algorithm is trained with incomplete data, it is at risk at developing a bias, which can be disastrous when automating the decisions behind, say, parole hearings or the approval of loan applications. On the other hand, AI is in medical diagnosis is advancing rapidly, and it won't be long before the healthcare gap closes in developing worlds, as well as places where specialists are limited and or too costly. AI is much more than a business differentiator. It is on the path to saving lives. And this is why we can't throw up our hands in despair on controversial topics. This is where extraordinary leadership comes in. Leaders have a responsibility to ask the hard questions and invest in understanding both the risks and the rewards to look at all sides of the technological advancements and the use cases, and then fight for fair, humane, democratic, and beneficial applications. As the business leaders, you will be the decision makers you will ultimately decide what path this and other technologies take and how the future unfolds. With promise of immense opportunity comes the need for tremendous thoughtfulness and great responsibility. And so my second request of you is be a champion for good. 
Lastly, the world today needs leaders that believe in the power of diversity and are passionate about making it a reality. We need leaders that will create an inclusive world, something leaders before you, myself included, have failed to deliver. Unconscious bias, conscious bias, gender inequality, religious prejudice, race discrimination, all are matters that we have lamented for decades and even centuries and yet still flourish. As a woman in tech, I'm a minority. Just 23% of the tech industry is comprised of women. I have clearly enjoyed and benefited from this dynamic and thriving industry. And so I've been on a long, arduous mission to increase the representation of women and minorities with limited success. When it comes to equal representation, there's a meaningful difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is a fact. It's a fact that the tech industry, within the tech industry, only 6% of the participants are black. For the business world, it's a fact that only 6% of Global 500 CEOs are women. Inclusion, by contrast, is a choice. And based on the statistics, collectively, we have yet to choose to be inclusive. Change remains elusive. I know through my years of leadership that motivating change requires a compelling reason, tremendous opportunity to be created or a devastating disaster to be avoided. Hence, I would like to advocate for my reasons for change and hoping you find them compelling. First, I will appeal to your heart. Inclusion is simply the right thing to do. I believe that no group should be left out forced to operate to a different written or unwritten set of rules that reinforce and maintain the status quo. I have spent 33 years yapping that what we should do is do what's right. So I am aware that this is not seen by the majority as sufficiently compelling. So my second reason for inclusion is talent. There is a huge shortage of talent in the business world. You know this, given how aggressively you were recruited. As new business graduates, you know that the strength of a business is proportional to the strength of the team. Leaders in the U.S. economy simply can't afford to ignore 50% of the population that are women, or the approximate 15% that are black, or the approximate 20% that are Hispanic and Latino. Warren Buffett spoke at Fortune's Most Powerful Women event. He is the only man that we allow to attend. <laughs> and he said to us, I am successful because I only had to compete with half the population. He stated that his sister was the smarter of the two, adding that she had a much better personality, but his parents would not allow her to go to college. Her job was to find a husband. So talent is my second reason for inclusion. Now, assuming you're still not sold, and I'm sure some of you aren't, my third reason for inclusion is simple economics. Gordon Moore, who is the co-founder of Intel and the creator of Moore's Law, he was asked in an interview about his secret to making tough decisions. And his response was, you don't need to worry about the tough decisions. Most often, they're tough because the outcome between the available options are so close, you might as well just flip a coin and move on. He said, however, that it's with the seemingly easy decisions, the problem for which the solutions appear obvious that you really need to be careful. Those moments when no one is questioning the decision, no one is providing a counter opinion, no one provides an alternative view. 
As of late, we have witnessed highly visible examples of the lack of diversity at the decision table. Just recently, there was a large Swedish fashion retailer that was forced to remove and apologize for an online ad depicting a black child promoting a sweatshirt that read coolest monkey in the jungle. They stated they were taking corrective action and had created a diversity executive position. Just after that, a large beverage corporation had to pull an ad campaign that featured a celebrity who joins a human rights protest and unites the crowd by handing out soda drinks. After attempting to defend the ad, failed, the company pulled the ad with the press statement, we did not intend to make light of any serious issue. So how did these advertisements go all the way from concept through production and out onto a worldwide stage only to end up being pulled, costing millions and millions of dollars in development, production, distribution, along with the added cost of reputational damage? Why weren't the ads stopped somewhere in that long creation and approval process? Why? What I have found is that these situations arise when the decision table is too homogeneous, resulting in a myopic assessment of the situation. No one saw these ads through an alternative lens. No one asked, are you sure this is a good idea? Better business results, that's my final, highly measurable and compelling reason for diversity. As they say, change the mindset and actions will follow. I believe that there are two key events that will contribute to a change in mindset. The first is data analytics. Data can make, the, make conscious the unconscious bias. In a study, job interview data was pulled from many HR organizations throughout the United States, across many corporations. That interview data showed that if the number of job candidates was four, with one woman and three men, the probability the woman would be hired was precisely 0%. If there were two women, the probability a woman would be hired is 50%. With just one woman in the candidate pool, the woman is too different, an outlier, a risky hire, and no manager can afford to make a risky decision when filling a critical position. Data analytics to the rescue in identifying the unconscious bias. The second event that I believe will create change is you, the next generation of leaders. I have a daughter who graduated from college this year and a son who graduated from high school. A few years back, my daughter made friends with a new girl in class who had just moved to California from New York, and her dad was a big New York lawyer, and he dropped my daughter off at our house for the first time, and we have a nice house, and, and seeing it, he asked my daughter, well, what does your father do for a living? And my daughter was taken aback, not sure how to answer the question, and so after composing herself, she stated with authority, well, my mom is the CIO of Intel. And the father looked at her very puzzled and asked, and how does your dad feel about your mom having such a big job? <laughs> so you fast forward just a couple weeks, and I'm taking my son's buddy home from a play date, and we pulled up in front of their house, and it's a massive, lovely home. And my son turns to the boy and says, Wow, what does your mom do? <laughs> and so my third and final request of you, as the leaders of tomorrow, is to be the change agent for diversity. Given you are the graduates of the UC Davis Graduate School of Management, I know a few things about you. You are exceptionally bright, 
you are highly motivated, and you're ready to take on the grand challenges that lay ahead. Your core attributes have been amplified by your time here at UC Davis. You have the passion, you have the knowledge, the resilience, the analytical rigor, and the global perspective to define the future in ways both necessary and beneficial. As you shape what would become your legacy for leadership, I challenge you to be the architect of your luck, a champion for good, and a change agent for diversity. Thank you for being our future leaders. The world needs you. Congratulations, class of 2018.